This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Ryan Bruss. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our guest is Ryan Johnson, and uh, this is going to be a wonderful podcast, as they all are. But Ryan explains that you have to supernaturally partner with heaven to see how your prophetic promises come to pass. And every one of us has prophetic promises over our lives. And and I know if if uh, you've been in meetings where you've been prophetically uh, ministered to, and you know, there, there's things that are resting in you. And Ryan gives you the keys to cross your prophetic finish line. And I love that. And how to use your dreams and visions and prophetic words that uh, God has given you to uh, use as anchors, as faith and weapons against the enemy. And uh, this is going to just be a real powerful podcast on how to contend for a miracle. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. Uh, now, Ryan, things uh, things were a little crazy uh, early on in your life. Uh, you had a serious addiction to alcohol and speed. What was going on in your life? Well, I'll be honest and upfront with everybody listening. I grew up in a phenomenal home. I had a very loving family, uh, very well provided for. My father is um, a disabled veteran for the United States Air Force. My mother was a loving, caring Southern woman, the epitome of what you could possibly imagine a Southern belle. But somewhere along the way, when I was about 12 or 13 years old, I knew that the Lord had spoken to me, and he had shared his dream for me. But I did not like his dream. I didn't really want anything to do with it. We were raised in a good home in the sense that we did go to church. We were never like we are committed to the Lord today. But I knew about God. I knew about Jesus, knew nothing of Holy Spirit. But beyond that, about 12, 13 year old, when I told God I wasn't interested, my life began to open up into some dark things. I embraced for quite a while a depression that led me to be suicidal at multiple different times, and that went on for a number of years. But about that same time, at 12, 13 years old, I was introduced for the first time to alcohol, and I liked it. I liked how alcohol made me feel. I knew people, uh, friends at school, relatives and stuff that did hardcore drugs, but I didn't like the drug scene. I was never really into the heroin or the marijuana or the crystal meth. Now, I would be lying if I didn't say I didn't ever try anything. I did try marijuana. I did not like slowing down. I was an athletic young man. I loved sports. I loved getting outside and, you know, roughhousing to a degree. But drugs just seemed like it took you into another world that I just did not want to be a part of. Now, the irony of that is I felt like when I drank alcohol, I was still in control. Now, looking back, I realized I wasn't in control, but that's what I kept telling myself. So at an early age, I was sneaking around, and I had older friends that would get me alcohol, and I kept it really, really hid well from my parents, from friends. And 
only had just a, one or two individuals that knew what was going on. In the process, I was introduced to speed. Speed gave me that energy, that burst, that I like that feeling of like you're in control, but you're you're not slowing down at the same time. And speed and alcohol became something that quickly, although hidden, it began to direct and really impact my life. Being an athlete and, you know, you're playing sports, you have practice, you have school, you have two a days, you have all that. Those things kind of gave me that charge. And, it, it, and you mix that with the depression that was early on in my life. It just doesn't seem like you would say a good young man from a good home would fall into these things. But that's just like the enemy. The enemy is not a uh, particular person in the sense where he just says, I'll pick on the weak or I'll pick on this. He'll pick on anybody he can. And I gave him all the reasons in the world to do so. So alcohol became one of those things. Speed became one of those things. And it became a hidden aspect of my life. When I was in 10th grade, I convinced my parents to let me change school for the sake of sports and uh, a coach and everything. And we changed schools. In 10th grade, I walked into a classroom in the first row on the very last seat. I saw the most beautiful young woman I've ever seen in my life. And I was smitten to say the least, but she didn't want anything to do with me because she felt like I was trouble, which <laughs> ironically, she was right. Nevertheless, I did pursue and kept pursuing. And sometime later, I began to date this young woman and I kept the alcohol hit. I kept the speed hit. And that was the majority of my high school life. It stayed that way. But along my senior year, I had some circumstances that ruined my dream. I had a dream that I had had since I was 12 years old. I wanted to do certain things. I wanted to play ball. I wanted to become a coach. I had my life played out. Now, you remember, God said he wanted something, but I had something different. And in that process, my life felt like it got ripped out from underneath me. The dream was taken, and I became more and more bitter. I became more and more angry. And that's when, after high school, after I graduated, the alcohol and the speed began to really take over my life. But this time, it was mixed with an I don't care attitude. I didn't care what was happening to me. I didn't care what I was doing to other people. Um, you know, right after high school, we graduated in May, and I married that young lady in November. And Ryan, you brought all of that drugs and alcohol into your marriage. I did, and I kept it all hidden. That's that's the thing. I had I had successfully dated her for about two and a half years, married her, and I had kept it hidden. But that first year of marriage, when the I don't care attitude came, that's when things became unraveled. And my new wife began to realize that I had some deep, hard secrets that I had been uh, holding on to for a number of years. Now, was your wife at this time born again? She was. She came from a uh, background where she'd been serving the Lord, baptized in Holy Spirit at eight years old. Wow. She was a, um, her grandfather was a Pentecostal charismatic preacher, uh, but he had uh, left this world very, very early in life. I never knew him, but her whole family was devoted to the Lord, and she was. And, and then it got to the point where things were so crazy that 
uh, you tried to leave your wife, and she literally fell on the floor, grabbed your legs, and begged you not to leave, and you were kind of dragging her across the floor and uh, kind of kicked her off of you. And, you know, she was like, uh, I'm going to church. Uh, when, when I get back, I want you gone. And uh, she just couldn't take it anymore. What happened after that? That's exactly right. She, when she came to me that Sunday morning and she said, that's it. I'm, it's, it's, I want you out of here. I'm going to go to church. My time to get home. I want you gone. And so I said, I'll go to church with you. I'll go to church. I've been to church. I've done the church thing. And I said, I'll go with you. And the preacher was preaching. I really don't know the sermon he preached, but he made that famous preacher statement that says, I feel like I'm talking to one person. And the interesting thing about it was I responded to that, and I said me, but I didn't say it in my head. I said it very loudly. Wow. About 250 heads turned and looked to me in the sanctuary, and I looked at my wife, and my mother and father were there as well, and tears rolling down my face, I said, I know what's wrong with me. And I went down to the altar, and I call it the day of my death, and I died. And old Ryan was buried, and a new Ryan was raised in the newness of Christ. And I got up, and I said, I'll never walk through another church door ever again without proclaiming the gospel. And that day, November 30th, 1997, my wife got a new husband. Wow. I felt it, Ryan, as you were saying that, and and uh, I feel the presence of God. And you got filled with the Spirit not too long after that, but something happened in your life, and due to the excessive drinking and the speed and the drugs, uh, you had some major damage to your heart. Your heart was uh, sort of internally swelling, and you went to the doctor, and uh, it was not a good report. And what did you do in January of 1998 to take care of business? Because now you're, you love the Lord, you're born again, you want to live for Him, but you have this major issue. I was. I was facing open-heart surgery because of the damage I had done with the speed and the alcohol in excess. And in January, I was invited to a prayer meeting. I'd never been to the prayer meetings before. I didn't know what a prayer meeting was. Uh, And I went. And I remember going down to the altar, and I knelt down, and I simply said this, God, I really don't know a whole lot about you, but I've been told you're a healer. And I need healing in my body. I don't want to do this. I don't want to have this surgery. And I need to be healed. And I'm not moving until I know that I'm healed. I never heard another thing. It seemed like 20 minutes. But all of a sudden, all I heard was healed. That's it. I heard healed. And I got up. And when I did, everyone in the church was gone except one person who had known me all my life. And she looked at me and she said, Ryan, you know how long you've been sitting there. And I said, no, ma'am, I don't. She said, three and a half hours. Wow. And I had no concept. I just knew that I needed healing. So I went back. I actually called the doctors, and I said, I want to do my test all over again. At first, they did not want to, and I finally convinced them, let me do it again. When I did it in February, the last week of February, they called me, and they said, Ryan, we don't know how to explain this. But where you failed every single test the previous times, I've done it multiple times, they said you are now not only passing those numbers, you are superseding those numbers. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. On February the 28th, it was a Saturday, I had received in the mail the medical documents clearing me from all my heart conditions. And I remember it because the next day on March 1st, and I was preaching a message at the church I was married in, I turned 20 years old. 
And now ever since then, you have seen so many miracles. You've seen the paralyzed heal, blind eyes open, legs grow out, back straighten up, and hearing restored. And uh, God's really given you a message about contending for a miracle. But, Ryan, you teach that it starts with faith. I think in the 21st century, we have a misunderstanding of faith. And Hebrews talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we got to get a better understanding of this. And let's start with how you teach that faith unlocks prophetic destinies. Well, I had lived the majority of my life as a follower of Christ, honestly priding myself in faith. I believed when God told me something, I just did it. I never questioned it. Lord, is this you or, you know, whatever. I just did it. And I had somewhat of a reputation as an individual having radical faith. And I would always say there's no such as radical faith. All radical faith is is obedience. It just appears to be radical because it gets it goes against our our normal ability to do. But radical faith is just saying yes. But the Lord spoke to me one Sunday and said, You don't know anything about faith. And it 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 wrecked me. It shocked me. It was it was one of the most disappointing words I'd ever heard, but it began to unlock things because I didn't realize that when we say all the time that we believe I have the faith for this. We are uh, creatures of habit a lot of times in the sense of saying that we also have unbelief in our lives. We will admit that we're believing for things, but at the same time, we will admit that we don't have faith for certain things. And we do it in a wink and a nod at times, as if God is okay with us not having faith. But as you said, Hebrews eleven six, without faith, it is impossible to please God. That verse ought to strike a little bit more fear of the Lord in us in the sense of if I'm acknowledging that I don't have faith in something, this is not good. This is definitely not a good situation. And so when God began to take me this journey about faith, he took me to Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith, the hall of faith, the ones that we all read in the Bible. And man, if I had faith like Abraham, or if I had faith like Moses, if I had faith like Sarah, we read these men and women and we talk about if we were like them. And there's two verses in Hebrews 11 that will shock you if you read it. And it says this, and all these died without seeing the fulfillment of their promise. And that verse shocked me. It, it kind of took me back because I was like, wait a minute, I, I don't see it. But at the latter part of those two verses, it will also say, but they welcomed them from a distance. And the Lord took me on this journey in recognizing that the prophetic promises of our lives are attached to faith, but there must also be trust in what God prophetically declares over our lives. Now, let me ask you this, Ryan, just the word faith, for some reason, uh, in the Bible says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, that's a pretty clear understanding of faith, but why is faith so abstract to where people really don't know how to grab onto it and use it for the glory of the Lord and for things to change in their life. I believe it's because we are people who demand to see results immediately. Right. You have a promise of the Lord, and the Lord says, for example, you've been praying for a lost loved one, a child, a daughter, son, whatever. And the Lord says that child is going to come to know the Lord. That child is going to be you know, delivered from drugs or whatever the case may be. They're going to know the Lord. Well, 15 years go by, and they're still drug addicts. 20 years, they're still drug addicts. And we begin to give up in our faith because we don't see now results. 
our hangup is in seeing it now. We, we become lack in our ability to believe, even though we tell ourselves, now faith is dead and things hoped for, not yet seen. We often feel like when God says this is going to happen, that if it doesn't happen in our set standard of time, then either God has forgotten or we have sinned in some manner or whatever the case may be. And that's where we get so limited in faith and why faith has to link with trust and trusting what God said. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for. What is your hope in? Is the measure of faith in your life based on whether or not you see it? See, this is the thing that, that gets us as individuals. We will say, I believe as long as I can see it. Now, most Christians won't acknowledge that, but it is the truth. A lot of times we give up because of a lack of ability to see things in the natural or see it in a set standard in which we value our, our label as, you know, okay, tolerance and, and acceptance in that timeline. But I've talked to a lot of men and women of God over the years that they've been praying for something, and years go by, and a lot of individuals become bitter or angry at God because they think back to when God said, yet they see no evidence of it. Right. So you teach you know, in your book thoroughly in, in your CD set that you got to contend for things. You know, the promises in the Word of God are yes and amen. They, they are for us. They're for now. But there's a contending that has to happen for those promises. Talk about that. Absolutely. There's an aspect of every single prophetic promise that is spoken over to your life. Not only do you know those promises, but the enemy knows those promises as well. There's a demonic realm that is always trying to deny what God has declared over your life. We see this in Daniel when Daniel prays, and the prayer is answered immediately. But there's a battle in the second heavenly that delays that, and there's a contention. But how did that contending happen? It happened because Daniel prayed and he fasted. He fought while there's an angelic fight going on at the same time. Well, in our modern day, we also have to do similar things. We have to take those prophetic promises over our life, and we have to learn how to pray those into. We have to declare them. We have to remind ourselves every day. We have to remind the enemy that God has said this. And our trust is not in what man says or what man does, but our trust is in what the Lord has declared and say. Because his promises are yes and amen, because God is not a liar nor a deceiver, therefore the things in which he's declared over my life will come to be. And even though there's a battle in the moment, it does not mean that I don't have the victory of the prophetic promise. And so we literally have to fight for those things, and we have to encourage ourselves. We have to remind ourselves why it's so important to contend. Now, Ryan, you wrote a brand new book, How to Contend for a Miracle. What are people going to receive from this book, and what did guys show you about writing it, actually? Well, the first thing, they're going to see the application of the Word of God. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to give you a concept or an idea of how to without you understanding that God has already done it for other people in the Bible. 
You know, one of the descriptions I use in the book is the life of Abraham and Isaac. You're going to see how God was able to reveal a prophetic destiny over Abraham and Isaac's life and how that was what got Abraham to the point to where he could go through with the sacrifice of Isaac. And you're going to get other scriptures, you're going to get other stories, but you're also going to get a very personal story involving my own family. You're going to get how we had to contend. My mother, five years ago, was diagnosed with with cancer, and it was a battle. I mean, it was a battle in the natural, but it was a battle in the spiritual realm. And I want the readers to understand that I'm not giving you how-to instructions that I myself have not had to do. I'm trying to show the readers that not only does the Word of God say this, but I've applied this in my own life. And because I've applied this in my own life, I've seen the result of contending for your miracle. The enemy wants to deny you, but God has prophetically given you words over your life that are worth fighting for. And Ryan, you took it a step further, and you did a brand new exclusive CD set for us called Contending for a Breakthrough for your family. And I know on that CD set, you're praying for people, you're praying for uh, breakthrough. But uh, tell me about the CD set for a moment. You know, it's about understanding who we are as sons of God. It's about knowing that we have a greater identity. We have a greater authority. It's not by your name or my name. It's not by our power, but it's by the power in the name of Jesus Christ. It's about teaching individuals that it's not just being saved in order to one day make it to heaven, but it's actually walking in the demonstration of heaven now in our life, in in, in the other individual's life. It's showing us as sons of God that we have authority. We have power. We have the ability to decree, to declare. We have the ability to extend out those promises in a way that even though the enemy may come to try to derail or he may try to come deny, he cannot stop when you have the power that is within a son of God. Now, when I'm saying son of God, I'm saying daughters as well. So I I want to encourage everybody that these CDs is about you activating Christ in you, the hope and the glory of the kingdom of God manifesting through your life and through your prophetic promises. Amen. So you can also receive a miracle, a breakthrough for you and your family. Okay, Ryan, people have taken this very teaching that you teach in the book and your CD set, and you have so many testimonies. Give me one testimony where people absorb this revelation of contending for a miracle and applied it to their own life. You know, I've been ministering and preaching this word for a number of years, and we've had individuals that's come up after the service And, you know, they say, I'm going to apply this. I'm going to take this word. I'm going to apply it in my life in such a way. And one of those stories was we had a couple. They had been married for a number of years, and they had had a child that was uh, definitely not serving the Lord, to say the least. And they had lost contact with that child to a degree. They kind of knew a little bit about the child but didn't know exactly about where the child was at all times. And so I asked the individual, do you know— Um, is there a prophetic promise over that child's life? Is there something that you know the Lord spoke to you or spoke to your child? And they actually spoke up and they said, years ago, that child had said that they were going to serve the Lord and they were going to sing and they were going to preach. That was the two things. They were going to sing and they were going to preach. So I told them, let's get the Bible that you have of theirs. Do you have a Bible that, that was 
that child's Bible. It had their name on it. They said, yeah, actually I do. I have their actual Bible. When they left home, they left their Bible home. I said, let's get that Bible. Let's bring it to the church and let's pray over it and let's leave it at the altar. Let's just leave it at the altar and let's just pray. Let's anoint it and let's decree and declare that the child is going to come home, pick the Bible up, and they're going to preach and they're going to sing. So that's one of the things we started doing. Year one passed, not a thing. Two years passed, not a thing. Three years passed, not a thing. Four years passed, not a thing. The fifth year, I get a phone call. I'm living in another state. I get a phone call from the child. The child is calling me, and they're a grown adult, and uh, they're weeping. As they're weeping, they said, Ryan, I want to tell you how much I thank you. And I said, what are you thanking me for? And they said, I went to church tonight. I fell to the ground, gave my life to Christ, and I look up, and my Bible is on the altar. And my mother and my dad told me what you had instructed them to do and that they had fought for my life this whole time. And I've picked up the word of God again and I'll preach and sing. Now, fast forward, that individual's married, has a family now and has continued preaching and singing and serving the Lord ever since. <laughs> wow. Now that Ryan, that is touching. That is incredible. And you talk about contending for five years and that's what you got to do. You contend until the miracle happens. And I'm reminded just briefly of a friend of mine who told me uh, that two years ago he was healed in his eyes, but he had been praying since 1983. So I want those who are listening to understand this teaching that Ryan is giving us is so important because we do in this 21st century, we want everything fast. I mean, we see an ad on YouTube and we're frustrated because it's eight seconds. But you have to understand that the kingdom doesn't work like that. We contend, we fight, we pray, we declare, we worship, and we keep moving forward in faith to give up uh, is not the answer. We can't, we got to quit giving up. And and in fact, Ryan, you teach uh, a lot about Abraham and Abraham's radical faith. And, and the Bible talks about in Romans how he did not give up. He kept pursuing and called those things that weren't as though they were. And just for a moment, talk about Abraham's radical faith as you see it. Well, for years, I just considered, you know, we, we call Abraham the father of faith, and I considered him the father of faith simply because he said yes. Abraham was from a family of idolatry. His father was an idol worshiper. Abraham, early in his life, was, you know, destined on that same path, but he has an encounter with God, and, and you know, his life is radically transformed, and I just thought this guy's the father of faith because he said yes. But one day when the Lord spoke to me about the faith and stuff, I went back and I'd heard so many messages over the years of people preaching about Abraham sacrificing Isaac in, in that moment. And, and I heard preachers and they would say, and Abraham knew that if he took Isaac's life, the Lord was going to raise him from the dead. And I, I immediately stopped in that moment and I said, how did he know? How did he know that God would have raised him from the dead? Now, here's why. He had never seen that demonstrated ever before in his life. He had never seen anybody raised from the dead. And a lot of times, we as, we as Christians, we base our ability to believe based off what we've already seen. I ask people all the time, do you believe people can get out of wheelchairs? And they say, yes. And then I say, how many of you actually seen it? Hands go up. 
And I said, whether you recognize it or not, a lot of times the way that we believe is based off what we have already seen. And that's not necessarily a wrong thing. It's encouragement. It should remind us that when God's done it once, he'll do it again. But that's not the measure of faith. Abraham didn't have that luxury with Isaac. It's not like he could look and say, well, you know, God, if I take Isaac's life, you're going to raise him from the dead because you did it for Bill's son. He had nothing to go on but the command of God. And I, I struggle with that. As a father of four, I struggle because I thought if God told me to take the life of one of my kids, I don't know that I could say yes. So what was it, God? What was it that caused Abraham to say, we're going to the mountain, but we're coming back? And that's when I was reading the scripture, and you find what God said to Abraham and then there was a nugget in the scripture that took me on a journey that blew me away when I realized that God had given Abraham a prophetic picture of Jesus being crucified. And a lot of people always tell him, I said, if you think I'm crazy, Jesus himself backed it up. I can carry you to the Gospel of John where Jesus himself talks about what Abraham saw. And that's what hit me one day is Abraham's life, what makes Abraham's life of faith is he acted upon what he saw. When the prophetic was revealed to him, it was enough to cause him to contend, even if it meant in the moment that the knife was going to go through Isaac's body, his flesh. He saw what God done for his own son and knew that even though you're calling me to do this, you will also raise my son. And this is part of the teaching that is in your book, and and you really go into detail about how Abraham's radical faith is an example of how we are to walk this out today. And like I said before, Romans uh, really dives into it as well to give us a real uh, understanding about what Abraham was feeling and seeing. Okay, Ryan, I want to take you to something very significant, very close to home that happened to you. You had a prophetic dream that saved your mom's life. Tell that story. You mentioned it uh, earlier that it's in the book, but uh, here, uh, if you could just share it, uh, it's it's really powerful. In January, um, five years ago, when the Lord began to challenge me on my faith and began to stretch me, I didn't realize what he was preparing me for. He gave me this revelation how faith connects with the prophetic, and I had no clue. I was on the road ministering in the state of Virginia in March, and I get a phone call from my mother. And my mother is on the other end. I could tell she was crying, and she said, Ryan, I've been diagnosed with cancer. And the minute she told me that, something rose up in me. I can't explain it to a T, but I just know that it was a surge of Holy Spirit that came through my body. And I knew that my mom was going to live. This was not going to take her life. And I knew it because three months prior, the Lord had taken me on this journey of faith. Well, I began to tell my mom, you know, it's okay for you to cry. You know, it's an emotional time right now. You've been given this news. But I tell you, mom, you will live and not die. So we had to make our way back because she was very quickly had to have surgery. I mean, it was a very quick process because of the nature of the cancer. Uh, In that process, I actually was reminded through a vision that early in my uh, young adult life, my oldest daughter, she's 20 now, she was about three at the time. And my mother went through a series of dreams, and they were consecutive. And 
I was uh, leading a ministry at the time. I was pastoring a church, and my mom had called me, and she said, I keep having the same dream over and over. What do you think it means? And the dream was her as an older woman playing with grown grandchildren. And in the dream, she was, you know, she was a lot older. Her hair had turned. You know, her skin had definitely changed. And the grandkids were grown adults, but she was playing with her grown grandkids. She had this dream consecutively for two weeks. Every single night, the same dream kept replaying itself over and over. And she said, why do you think God's showing me this? At the time, I had no clue. I, I, I couldn't explain it at the time. So when my mother was diagnosed with cancer, we're getting ready to go back to Alabama and, you know, or Tennessee at the time where she was going to have the surgery. I saw the vision of the dream. And that's when the Lord spoke to me. And he said, I've already declared life over your mom. And I reminded her of the prophetic promise of grandchildren in her life. Well, see, at the time she was having the dream, she only had three grandchildren. Now they're up to 12. But at the time, she only had three grandchildren. And I remembered what God was teaching me about Abraham. And I remembered the vision through that vision and my mother's dream, what the Lord was showing me that the enemy was trying to prematurely take my mother out of this world. Because it was nowhere near. Five years ago, my oldest daughter would have been 15. My youngest daughter had been 12 to 13. And then my parents had grandkids that wasn't even born yet. So we were nowhere near the timeline of those dreams. And because of that, I knew what the enemy was trying to do. He was trying to stop the prophetic promises of my mother's life. And that's where we started putting our feet to the ground. I gathered my brothers and my sister, I got my dad, we were in the hospital. I began to explain everything to them. And I said, look, I will be strong. I will not let mom see me cry. I will stand in faith because I have a word from the Lord. And I'm telling you, mom is not going to die. Now, I didn't reveal to them what the word was in that moment. I didn't say a word. I just said, I have a word. And I held true to that. And that journey of my mother in that battle, it was rocky to say the least at certain times because I knew going into this that if the enemy could get my mother's mind, that's where he would win. And the battle was over her mind in this. And there came a day when he almost got her. He almost got her to check out. And this is where it gets very, very fascinating for me as not only somebody that experienced this and writing about this, but it just reminds me the power of God. There came a day we had visited my parents and my mother snapped. She just lost it. I mean, she just, I, I don't know how to explain it any other way than she had a breakdown. And she called me in her room. I'd never seen my mother without any hair. Again, my mother's a Southern belle to the T. I'd never seen her without any hair because I didn't want to cry in front of her. She called me into her room. She's five foot two. She's a very petite woman. She took her head cap off and she laid her bald head on my chest. And she said, Ryan, I can't do this anymore. Help me die. I want to die. I can't live. I can't do this. I can't fight. I need to die. That's it. I give up. And I took my mother by the shoulders and I pushed her back a little bit. And one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life, I had to talk, not very like hateful, but I had to talk very stern to my mother. 
And I was doing it in a way to try to snap her out of the deception of the enemy. And I began to talk to her and say, don't look at me as your son. Listen to me as a man of God. And I said, I want to fight for your life. If you will give me 40 days to pray and to fast for you, I want to fight for you. I want to fight that you live. And here's the deal. At the end of the 40 days, if you look at me and say, I still want to die, I will pray you into heaven. But let me fight for you for 40 days, and I'm going to ask the Lord to reveal to you why you should live. I had still never shared the, the dream and the vision with mom. Never shared it. Never reminded her. Not one single time. Not even my dad. And in that process, on day 40, my phone rings, and my mother, uh, sorry. Go for it. Um, my mother calls me on day 40, and she, the first words out of her mouth, Ryan, I want to live. I have grandkids that I need to see grow up and play with. And she said it. I knew that God had showed her and reminded her and called her out of the deception of the enemy. And he restored her mind back to her, but not only restored it back to her, he had reminded her of the prophetic promises worth fighting for. Mm. And I'm telling the honest to goodness truth, even though the chemo and the radiation was horrible, and it was horrible for her to go through. From that moment on, her mind shifted. And even though there was days she was sick and couldn't get up, she kept saying, I'm going to live. And she kept saying, I'm going to play with my grandkids when they are grown adults. And I just knew that God, I never said anything. I never, because I knew to keep my mouth shut for that purpose, because I had to have God intervene and heal her mind. And take that back from the enemy in a way that she could overcome. And so when I'm telling people to contend, it is a fight. It is a battle. But I've seen it, and it's why we hold on to the prophetic promises. And Ryan, you talk about that very thing that you just said there. Remind yourself of the promises of God, the prophetic promises, His promises in the Word. And I know for you listening— that you have received prophetic promises, dreams, visions. It's time to uh, remind yourself of those, walk those out, and believe again the promises of God are for you. Ryan, please pray for the people at home, whatever is on your heart. Father, I thank you right now. I thank you because above all trials, circumstances, and situations in our lives, you are holy. You are good. You are wonderful and mighty. And no matter what our deepest, darkest hour is that we face, you have not abandoned us, you have not forsaken us, and you have not forgotten about us. Father, I pray right now that every individual that has ears to hear this message right now, that they're first reminded to come to you to learn to kneel at your feet and remind them, Lord, in your presence, all things are made new for your glory and your honor above everything in our lives. And Father, I pray for those who are listening right now that whatever their circumstance is and their difficulties that they're having, there are prophetic promises over their life. And Lord, I ask you through the Holy Spirit 
to remind them of those promises, encourage them, strengthen them, give them a spirit of boldness to rise up and to decree and declare the prophetic promises of their lives that they will not be timid, that they will not be shy in a way that they they quietly say nothing towards the enemy. But Lord, I ask you right now to let the spirit of the lion of the tribe of Judah rise up within them and they boldly proclaim the praises of Yahweh over their promises, that they will not live a defeated life, that they will not live to the pain and the misery of the enemy, but we rise up and remind the enemy who we are in Christ. We are not nobodies, but we are sons of God. We have not been destined to be a life of torment and anguish, but we have been destined to walk from a place of victory. For we have the blood of Christ over our lives. And I pray for every individual right now, I decree and I declare over your life a bloodline. And I prophesy to those that are listening right now that the prophetic promises over your life, you shall see them fulfilled. You shall know that God is a good God, that God is full of grace, mercy, and love. And I decree and declare over your life that what the enemy has stolen, what the enemy has denied, what the enemy has derailed, that he must pay the recompense, that he must restore unto you what was stolen. I prophesy health. I prophesy to the person right now that's battling cancer. I decree and declare over your life that you will live and not die. I decree and declare over heart conditions. I decree and declare over minds that you be made whole, that you may be made pure, and that you will see the hand of the Lord work in your life for his glory and his name. I decree it and prophesy it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you've been listening to Messianic Vision with our guest Ryan Johnson. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get this special offer. Ryan Johnson thought he knew everything there was to know about faith until one day God pulled the rug from under him and said, you don't understand faith. In his brand new book, How to Contend for a Miracle, an exclusive three CD set contending for a breakthrough in your family, Ryan will teach you what God taught him about how faith unlocks your prophetic destiny. Those promises from God that you've given up on and put on the shelf will come to pass as you learn to partner with the Holy Spirit for breakthrough. Call now for Ryan Johnson's brand new book, How to Contend for a Miracle, an exclusive three CD set contending for a breakthrough in your family for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Ryan Johnson's brand new book, How to Contend for a Miracle, an exclusive three CD set, Contending for a Breakthrough in Your Family, offer number 9671 for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars. Be sure to ask for offer number 9671. Once again, that's offer number 9671.